Further, he was most sensitive to slights, as all men are who, because they are placed in an equivocal position, fancy that everyone who makes any reference to their origin is offering an intentional insult. We must now see by what a chain of circumstances he had arrived at his present position. About the year 1660, Sainte-Croix, while in the army, had made the acquaintance of the Marquis de Bronvillier, maître de camp of the Normandy Regiment. Their age was much the same, and so was their manner of life. Their virtues and their vices were similar, and thus it happened that a mere acquaintance grew into a friendship. And on his return from the field the Marquis introduced Sainte-Croix to his wife, and he became an intimate of the house. The usual results followed. Madame de Branvilliers was then scarcely eight-and-twenty. She had married the Marquis in 1651, that is, nine years before. He enjoyed an income of thirty thousand livres, to which she added her dowry of two hundred thousand livres, exclusive of her expectations in the future. Her name was Marie Madeleine. She had a sister and two brothers. Her father, Monsieur de Drut d'Aubray, was civil lieutenant at the Châtelet de Paris. At the age of twenty-eight the Marquise was at the height of her beauty. Her figure was small, but perfectly proportioned. Her rounded face was charmingly pretty. Her features, so regular that no emotion seemed to alter their beauty, suggested the lines of a statue miraculously endowed with life. It was easy enough to mistake for the repose of a happy conscience the cold, cruel calm which served as a mask to cover remorse. Sainte-Croix and the Marquise loved at first sight, and she was soon his mistress. The Marquis, perhaps endowed with the conjugal philosophy which alone pleased the taste of the period, perhaps too much occupied with his own pleasure to see what was going on before his eyes, offered no jealous obstacle to the intimacy, and continued his foolish extravagances long after they had impaired his fortunes. His affairs became so entangled that the Marquise, who cared for him no longer, and desired a fuller liberty for the indulgence of her new passion, demanded and obtained a separation. She then left her husband's house, and henceforth, abandoning all discretion, appeared everywhere in public with Santa Croix. This behavior, authorized as it was by the example of the highest nobility, made no impression upon the Marquis of Bronvilliers, who merrily pursued the road to ruin, without worrying about his wife's behavior. Not so, Monsieur de Drudobray, he had the scrupulosity of a legal dignitary. He was scandalized at his daughter's conduct, and feared a stain upon his own fair name. He procured a warrant for the arrest of Saint-Croix, wheresoever the bearer might chance to encounter him. We have seen how it was put in execution when Saint-Croix was driving in the carriage of the Marquise, whom our readers will doubtless have recognized as the woman who concealed herself so carefully. From one's knowledge of the character of Saint-Croix, it is easy to imagine that he had to use great self-control to govern the anger he felt at being arrested in the middle of the street. Thus, although during the whole drive he uttered not a word, it was plain to see that a terrible storm was gathering, soon to break. But he preserved the same impassibility, both at the opening and shutting of the fatal gates, which, 
like the gates of hell, had so often bidden those who entered abandon all hope on their threshold, and again when he replied to the formal questions put to him by the governor. His voice was calm, and when they gave him the prison register, he signed it with a steady hand. At once a jailer, taking his orders from the governor, bade him follow. After traversing various corridors, cold and damp, where the daylight might sometimes enter, but fresh air never, he opened a door, and Santa Croix had no sooner entered than he heard it locked behind him. At the grating of the lock he turned. The jailer had left him with no light but the rays of the moon, which, shining through a barred window some eight or ten feet from the ground, shed a gleam upon a miserable truckle-bed and left the rest of the room in deep obscurity. The prisoner stood still for a moment and listened.